This episode is brought to you by Noble Pet Foods. No nonsense, no bull. Go to noblefoods.com, use promo code DOGTALK15, and they'll deliver dog food to your house with Noble. So welcome to Talking with the Dogs. And this week's episode, I have guest Lori Cohen from the Beagle Alliance. She's based in Canada, but they work across borders and they work with Cage to Couch in Los Angeles. And we are going to talk about rescue dogs, sort of the designer uh, status symbol these days is having a dog that was a beagle from a lab or whether it's, you know, from the Korean meat market. And we're going to take a nitty gritty look at the realities of what it's like to have one of these dogs or what to look for if you're considering if this is a right fit for your family. So Lori, welcome to Talking with the Dogs. Thanks, Liz. Thank you for having me. Sure. So we, Lori and I met years ago now, it seems at this point, I had done a podcast episode on um, a dog that was rescued from the labs, Beagle Freedom Project. Yes. yes. <laughs> we had met when I had done a podcast through the Beagle Freedom Project, and I got to work with a lot of interesting beagles and people. And through that, and, and by the way, I'll just say it's an interesting episode because of the specifics that beagles have to share about their experience and the special people that are helping them uh, here and there, but also how much they like the rescue. So that episode is about the beagles themselves. This is another perspective on the beagles because it's a big topic. So Lori and I met and through there, and I ultimately worked with her dog uh, Beaks, right? That's right. Yeah. And it has been a couple of years already. And of course, after that episode and the insight that you gave on, on the dog that we were speaking about, I had reached out to you um, while my dog was sick and you were wonderfully able to give me insight into what he needed while he was going through that. And then even after his passing. So uh, it was quite a blessing. So thank you. I'm glad that it, it it touched me a lot. And one of the things for those of you who never worked with an animal communicator, I'll just add is that Lori, there were times where she had people from her medical team there because they were trying to make difficult decisions on what to do and treatments. And, and so she had team. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad that she was able to say it was helpful. And because Animal communicators often work in conjunction with a medical team so that since we're not diagnosing, we are giving input that we're getting and then the team can make decisions. Wow, I get emotional thinking about that. I know, so do I. As a team, make, the team can help, whether it's Lori or the person, make decisions and explain things. So anyway, uh, we did that and we did work with the team. So I like to always remind people we're not prescribing. So... When, so Lori has continued her work with the Beagles and tell us what you're doing now. One of the things with Beagles is, and with anyone having, and I talked about this in my episode this last week, that when an animal passes, sometimes we, you know, we, we shift what we're doing or we throw ourselves wholeheartedly into something new. Lori, what are you doing with the Beagles now? So I'm essentially doing, we are doing rescue with laboratory beagles and, and animals that are abused and neglected. We do get calls for abandonment, et cetera. Uh, the, be, what, I mean, I think one of the things I learned about Beegs was simply his craftiness and all the characters of a beagle that sort of brought me to 
the place where I said, how can this testing go on? And of course, beagles are the most tested on breed and animal testing. So we applied for charity status in Canada, which was quite a process. And, and we did get that last year. And uh, so we started, we've started working in Canada, approaching the laboratories. We are, as you had said, Liz, working across borders. So we have been we've basically been with our partner rescue cage to couch in in los angeles we've been privileged to be able to help some of the invigo beagles which i'm sure everybody's heard about and read about and so we've placed a couple of those beagles in forever homes in california and in canada so we are we are attempting to end animal testing and make people aware about non-animal uses in research so Gosh, thank you for for the work you're doing. So edu educate us a little bit more about why is it so bad? You know, people think, well, we need to know, we test medicine, we need to know if it's safe. We've been doing it for years. What What is the turning? Like you got Canada agreed, you know, the labs are starting to release more and more animals. Why Why is this so important? Well, it's important, I think, and this is something that we've really started uh, researching and finding a little bit more about the effects of the animals being in these research facilities, but not only that, the workers in the facilities as well. So we do already know that 90% of any testing that goes on is ineffective for human use. So the model itself is not fabulous to begin with. It's not necessarily providing us with you know, the be all end all of cures that people think that it is and that this is truly helping humanity. Mm -hmm. And then on the side, the flip side of that, the workers who work with these animals, for the most part, they've gone into their careers to do good. And, and then they find themselves doing harm. And it takes quite a toll on them as well. So we've got animals suffering from PTSD, anxiety, and a myriad of physical uh, diseases because of what they're injected with, etc. And then you have the workers who feel shame, anxiety, the same anxiety and PTSD, and and not feeling like they entered the career that they thought they were doing. So the whole, I, I think that if we could move towards non-animal use, and there are models being developed right now uh, in Canada and every other country, many other countries, I think that it would only be beneficial for both the animals and the people if we moved in that direction. Yeah, well, I, I was certainly touched by the animals and it, it surprised me one of the first beagles that I talked to who described this kind woman that would come and how she was very quiet and she was very gentle and very nice. And I, it was powerful to, to think about that and how, what it must be like when the dogs, whether they pass away and they're grieving the loss of this dog or whatever, when the dogs are taken and you don't hear much about the people speaking out, are they under non-disclosure contracts? Absolutely. Many of them are. Yes. For the most part, from what we've been privy to. Yes. They're they're They've signed a lot of non-disclosures and they're just simply not permitted to speak out, which is why we have a whistleblower email and we ask that they reach out to us confidentially if they're feeling there's a safety issue or there's there's a confidential confidentiality issue. Got it. Okay, so wow. 
So tell me what happens when when someone wants to adopt a beagle. You know, it, it was been in the news with the royal family who adopted one, and you know, people are like, "Oh, that's so great! We want one." And it's it's sort of like when you see a chihuahua in the movie, and it's like, "Oh, everyone wants one, and then there's too many, or it doesn't go right." How do people know if it's a right fit for them? How do you decide? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it reminds me of 101 Dalmatians, because that's another perfect example where, mm -hmm. you know, something looks great, and, and we don't necessarily know exactly the details and, and the personality of the breed. But um, so people apply for a variety of reasons. In some cases, they really do apply for the notoriety of having a, a beagle that's been tested on. Right. Many people apply because they love the beagle breed and they just want a beagle. And the interesting thing about both of those things is that it can pose problems if the person is not uh, vetted properly and educated. So the people who just apply and want a beagle don't realize that these are very special needs beagles and very special needs animals. They come with a whole host of issues, um, anxiety, etc. Sometimes there's seizures that are unexpected from the harmful effects of being in the lab and exacerbated by stress. And so we really, we do a good interview and we have a really honest discussion, of course, about that, that these animals are special needs and, and they're coming with a possible host of issues. As well, the, on the other side of that, the people also that want a beagle from lab testing, they haven't, in some cases, in some cases, not all, they haven't thought it through enough to know that these issues exist. And it's, and also, if you've never had a beagle, in many cases, we have to discuss the beagle breed, they're little escape artists, they're crafty, they're going to dig under, they're going to climb over. And, and that sometimes that breed does not work for everybody. It's, it, it has to be a discussion. Got it. Okay. So how do people, so how do, how do people deal with in case of emergency? I need to, I've just got a beagle and I, I can't be here. I mean, the Royal family, Prince Harry, right. he had to leave his beagle and that could happen to anybody. What Absolutely. do you do when you, cause you, you can't just hire, you know, it's hard enough for like me, I have dogs and mine are not special needs as much as they think they deserve special attention. <laughs> you know, what happens when you have a special needs dog, you get called away in emergency. And what would anybody do to care for a dog? How do you find the right dog sitter or et cetera? Yeah. And, and that's, that's perfect. I mean, I think that before, I think this is all has to be, instead of reactive, I think it has to be a proactive situation. So before you're even adopting your dog, mm -hmm. what are you, who are your support systems? What happens if there's unfortunately a death in the family, someone has to leave? What if your parents are getting older, you have to go help them for a month? Mm -hmm. I think that you have to think about where you're at in life and then think about, as you say, emergency situations. So that's where you have your support systems in place. And, and I think in the best case scenario, you do that prior to adoption and you have the same, the same conversations that we would have with potential adopters, you would have with your support system. I know for me, 
me, mine are not special needs, although I'm with you, they, they think they should get all the special attention. It's it, very hard for me to even go on a business trip or even one night away. Right. So I have had to create a support system that I can go and ask and say, is this possible? And it's not always one person, because if an emergency comes up, that one person can't possibly right. can't drop everything. So I think that having um, outside the immediate family, having a support team and people who know your dog and are familiar with your dog's traits and that your dog knows them is the best case scenario. Yeah, that's, that is true for any dog. Like, you know, for me, it's like, who, who has a key to my house to get in? I live in LA and, you know, if anyone's delayed and like, this could be anywhere, if you're in a car accident and, and what, ha who can get into your house and get to your dog? So exactly, exactly. question for, for really anybody. Okay. Thank you. So what else, how about, you know, like people who have special needs, whether it's a child or an adult who's sick and needs care and, and the caretakers need support. How do people, if they've adopted, and this is same like with the Korean meat dogs, I've worked mm -hmm. with them too. And, you know, people are like, oh, this is, we thought things were moving along, but, you know, we, we had a family reunion and we've had a setback with so many people in the house or something. How do people get support for their dogs who, I guess, as we say, have special needs? Well, in terms of I, I, speaking from the Beagle Alliance and, mm -hmm. and in turn, they get 24 seven support. So mm -hmm. especially when they're fostering, um, they can, they can reach us at any time if there's anything going on, mm -hmm. but even after they adopt, we consider all everybody, a part of the family and we're still reachable. And, and, you know, that even we've even had people reach out and say, you know, I'm, I'm going on vacation and I'm not sure, um, that I can, I have to leave and I'm not sure if I should put my dog in a kennel because of the PTSD and anxiety. So we will talk them through that, you know, talk through a lot of the personality of that particular dog, right. what they're used to, what their schedule is, what their routine, and then make suggestions and kind of talk it out. So we are definitely a resource, but we're also a resource for people who have not adopted from us. So again, we've had people email who just, who have a beagle or have an animal from animal testing that are experience, experiencing some of these issues and they'll just give us a call and reach out just to say, you know, what do I do? And, and is there some way that you can offer resources, et cetera? Yeah. And, and we do help with that. So that's definitely, you know, reaching out to experts is always, you know, a, a an added bonus. I'm right. not going to say that we know everything by any stretch, but we certainly will walk people through it and, and go through it. But again, I think the support system is, is the number one thing. I think you have to, it takes a village and, yeah. and, and that's, that's what's important. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Okay. So I really liked what you said about the, the beagles personality in dogs have preferences and it's just like labs. You can have one lab that's very quiet and timid and another lab that is gregarious and like, Oh boy, does that dog have a lot of energy? And, you know, I think that's a good thing for anyone considering adopting a beagle. When I spoke with another adopter who had reached out to me, she had several dogs and it's like one of them loved the crate. It was the safe space, 
you know, the dog had memories where it felt safe. It had survived in its crate and it sort of nestled in and that's where I'm going to go. And the other one wouldn't even go in the crate. And so I think that's a good point. I just wanted to build on that dogs do have preferences and it's really important for any dog, but especially a dog that has had PTSD that we have to respect those needs if we want them to decompress and be able to become resilient role models. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Okay. So what else is important to know about adopting a beagle and long-term and does do, how long does it take for them to sort of blossom? Is there a Time frame that people can say can say okay well we're we're committed we can do this it's going to be about you know some people will talk about the three days three weeks three months is that true with beagles or does it depend well again it probably building on the personality you know discussion it's definitely a, an individual issue we our foster period is four weeks and and then we we approach the foster and see how, how the beagle's doing and, and, you know, if they're thinking about adopting and and we really talk about the personality and kind of the milestones. So many of these dogs get out of the laboratory and they won't eat for a couple of days. We have to syringe water because they won't drink. They won't walk on a leash. They really don't know how to be dogs. They've never learned from, you know, the cues of another dog. So in many cases, and and in terms of that, again, it's individual. So there's no hard and fast rules. We definitely suggest that if you're going to, that you create a safe space for them so that if they're overwhelmed, they have somewhere to go. That said, we hope that there would be no closing of door of crates because of course it simulates the situation just so that they have a safe space but that they can also get out of and they know that they're not being put back in that situation um so that said it really is an individual time frame but you see the milestones because you see that where they were a little bit aloof in some cases they're cuddling up on the couch after a week or where they have trouble going through a doorway to the outdoors they're starting to run through and they're excited to go outside so there's different milestones and and they happen at different times and we just we just watch the progress and and again on in terms of beagles and I I think it's important because of what you had said, Liz, about sort of the notoriety of having a beagle, especially given this time with this in Vigo, uh, the 4,000 beagles. Now, as monumental a win that that is in the animal testing world, and as fabulous that it is that 4,000 beagles are going to live in forever homes and, and, and not live in a filthy facility and be euthanized. There's still something to think about, about a beagle. So if you want to save an animal, it doesn't necessarily have to be a beagle. And I know from our partner rescue and from working in the States that the shelters in the United States are overflowing and the finding of 4,000 homes for a very notorious rescue has sort of put the shelters in, in an unfortunate situation because everybody wants one of these beagles. Right. So I think the important question for people to, to ask is, is a beagle right for me? 
Yeah. There's re- there's dogs all over the United States and Canada that that need rescuing, that need a safe space and they are not beagles. And so it's really important to know what breed you're getting, what the common personality traits are, you know, what their little ins and outs are and really researching the breeds so that you pick the perfect and you can still do this in rescue. You can still right. save an animal, right? But that it's a match for you and your family and your lifestyle. Right. And, you know, if you're going camping every weekend, a beagle may not be for you. They're not your off-leash dogs. So these are questions I think that if people are honest with themselves and ask themselves and their family, there's so many animals that they can rescue. It does not necessarily have to be a beagle. Right. Yeah. We had that with lab rescue and I worked with them for many years. People would show up, they'd seen one picture of the dog online and they said, this is, I just know this is the dog for me. And we're like, well, tell us about your life. Why don't you fill out the form? And they fill out the form. And it's like you said, they might want to go camping every week. And we're like, this dog is not the match for you. It may look like it, but you can't just go from the picture, knowing it, that it's the one for you. You know, I I do that as an animal communicator. I can look at a picture, but there's more to knowing into fitting into your lifestyle. If you're not trained to tune in and connect that way and people overlook things also, you know, if you're think anybody listening is thinking about adopting, be honest with the rescues because when they're interviewing people, the rescue I worked for, they had, we had two interviews and they would tell the one person one thing. And then, and then, yeah, you know, we're home all day. We're, we're never this one case. We're never away from home for more than four hours and no, someone's always there. So then I get on the phone and I was like, okay, so tell me, well, you know, I work in the city, this one particular case, I work in the city. And then that, and, and it's like, wow, there's no possible way that they're home and that that four hours was right for this puppy. And it's like, this isn't lining up. So just be honest because the volunteers are really trying to help both the adopters get the right dog and have it be successful for the people, but also advocating for the dogs. So just be honest with yourself because sometimes we have to say, no, that's not the dog for me, but I might be getting something that's a way better match. Just looks a little different. So Lori, you said something about your adoption period. You foster for four weeks and then adopt. And there can be pushback. I know I've heard it from people that there's too picky about not necessarily you, just anyone. The rescues are so picky. And can you comment on why it it takes four weeks? I mean, you did the decompressing, but that you're really looking out for the animals and the people. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, the four weeks is 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 a guideline, of course, and, mm-hmm. and it's a minimum four weeks, we're definitely okay if it goes longer, depending on the progress of the dog, some as, as you know, some are more traumatized than others, right. or have reacted differently to their situation. You know, I've not had a lot of people say, wow, this is a really big process. I Mm -hmm. I, mostly we have people who thank us for our process because they realize that we're doing it for the best interest of the animal. And we make that really clear. We're not trying to, um, we're not trying to find adopters, a dog. We're trying to find the dogs 
a family. The dogs are the ones we're advocating for. They're the ones who can't speak. We have to watch them and and know what they've been through and see their personalities. And, and just as you say, hear from the fosters and the applicants about honestly what they can and can't do. So we have a very informative phone interview to start with for anybody who's an applicant. We talk about all the possible issues of a laboratory dog or an abandoned dog. Uh, we discuss you know, what the possible triggers might be, etc. We really educate them on what might come up during the foster period. And yeah. of course, what's expected of them. So, you know, we do, we would like that they can go to vet appointments and etc. and make time for that. So we, we discuss that and see if that, that's going to work in their schedule. And then we do a home check. And in most cases, it is a virtual home check because we're doing this across, you know, across the US and Canada. So we do a FaceTime home check with everybody in the family. We want to know that everyone's on board. And, you know, people tend to hear things differently. And and so we like to have an opportunity for questions to be asked by everybody in the family and to see who's feeling whatever sense of comfort or uncomfortable, etc. And then we call to non-family references. And, you know, we discuss with them. We have a couple of questions, but we we usually just like to hear from them what what the situation is in terms of how they know the family, how they know the family with their animals, etc., what their priorities are. It's not entirely, you know, it's not like it's going to be an hour conversation. It's usually mm-hmm. pretty but by that point we get a good feel for whether there's a match and and then we you know proceed accordingly and again for the most part we have people thanking us for that Uh, many of the references take time and and they say you know we're really glad you called because it's good to know that you're looking out for the animals so so Mm -hmm. that's uh that's something that I would look out for is that if you're not being interviewed that by a rescue, I personally would wonder what, why. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. So if someone's listening, who's thinking, okay, I, I'm going to go for that. I'm going to consider going through a rescue. Definitely look for someone who has an adoption period, a foster to adopt, because you want to make sure it's a right fit. You want the foster to know that the the rescue is going to support you with, you know, when I adopted Teddy, my yellow lab, he came and, and they called to check. The first time they called was the first day. Someone else had dropped him off. The rescue called. How's it going? I said, he can just stay. Cause I was one of those people and I had my, no, he can just stay. He's swimming in the pool. He's fine. And they were like, no, we have to wait. He, Teddy had a chip. So they had to do due process on that. Yes. And they had to wait. And every time they checked in, I, I'm like, oh, he can stay. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. And so it is hard and it, but it, is nice to have that support and they would even check in months later and years later. And so look, look for that. If you're thinking of doing that with a rescue, that's why there's rescues that are called reputable rescues. You can vet and choose your rescue, Mm -hmm. whether you're going for a beagle or any other dog, because it is a village and, you know, we want to help 
I, I think you'd agree that part of this is we want to help you re reference the shelter dogs. We want to keep dogs out of the shelters. And, you know, there's stories about people who said, well, you know, or I'll see a dog. I'm like, why isn't that dog returned to the breeder or where it came from? And then people have reasons or they didn't contact them. But if something happens in your life, you, you want to know that you don't have to just drop it off the shelter. Some shelter dogs, get adopted and it's like it's a blip in their life but others aren't as fortunate and and perfectly good dogs are still being euthanized all over the world and so if we can make an impact you know i just want to encourage people to think about this and where they might get their next dog from and the process and how so it's not just an impulse thing so Aside from that, if someone says, well, you know, I have a full house, I can't get a dog, but wow, this has got me thinking, I want to help. What can I do? Do you have any needs now with Beagle um, Alliance that you need volunteers or support? What do people do if they want to just do something? You know, I say, just do something. You don't have to adopt. What can people do to help the Beagles, Lori? Well, I think that's a great question. And, and I think that, of course, there is always something that people can do and you know if you can't foster and adopt that's fine you and in terms of our mission which is to end animal testing and move towards a world without animal testing you can definitely start uh start shopping cruelty free mm -hmm. and we have some resources on our site thebeaglealliance.org that you know are great for showing you what products are not tested on animals so mm -hmm. that's a, a definite way that you can most people can incorporate into their lifestyle and and start shopping cruelty free we certainly you know are grateful for all donations that go to for the most part they go towards the medical uh the veterinary costs for the animals once they're released mm -hmm. and and we and we do have an application for volunteer on online and the easiest thing I think too is to just share we're on social media to share our mission to start to follow and like us both the Beagle Alliance and our sister rescue cage to couch and we're just trying to spread the word and, and make people more aware and and those are ways that you can do that until such time that maybe yeah. you have an opportunity to foster what right. I would like to add Liz if you don't mind this is a separate thing about the the contingency plan because this is something I've done and a lot of people that I know have done is that they have a plan for if something were to happen to them so I personally know a lot of people who have named their animals in their actual wills so that if something unexpected happens that their animals are taken care of and that's another thing that I think can is an easy thing to do and really solidifies the fact that your animals won't end up in a shelter and we've seen many animals end up in shelters because the maybe the elderly person lived alone with that animal and passes away and this right. no, nobody in the family can take the animal and there's another dog in a shelter who has basically known love and companionship their whole life and now finds themselves in a shelter so contingency yeah. plan great idea definitely definitely and there are people who uh, who do that 
um, mention it. So if you're listening and, and you work as a, an attorney or somebody can help somebody draft something up that's notarized to do that, you know, please look into that. When I was working with Lab Rescue, there was a dog who he was taken to lab rescue because it was in the will exactly where they wanted this particular lab to go. Mm -hmm. He was so nice. He was not a traumatized dog by any means. And they called me in to get more details on what kind of life the dog wanted because there was money set aside to care for this dog until it was placed and this ongoing medical care for the rest of its life. And the, they just wanted to, they're like, we need to know who to place this dog with because it was again, highly, highly desirable in its, in its situation because it wasn't traumatized, but they were wanted to advocate for the dog more and a little bit more information. So that was a fun chat with him. Yeah, awesome. So this is great. I am so glad that you could come. I want to just check. Was there anything else? Uh, no, we covered quite a lot. The say it again, where people can find you if they want to go deeper and learn more about both cage to couch in the States or Beagle Alliance in, in Canada. Sure. Where, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best place? Best place is through both of our websites. So the beaglealliance.org and cage to couch.org. And you will find email there that you can certainly email us and phone us as well. So we're very, we want to talk with people. It doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, are wanting to adopt or foster. If you have any questions or want to know more about the mission, by all means, please reach out to one or both of us. We're, we're there to chat and, and talk about what we're doing. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. This is a huge passion of mine. I started doing animal communication with the rescues, you know, when I was doing it with other dogs, you know, sort of professionally. And it, I've seen how it's made such a difference, the work of the rescues and, and advocating for dogs. So stay tuned for more podcast episodes, working with the dogs, their stories, and the advocates across the globe who are working in so many different ways. I hope some of you may be inspired whether or not to adopt a dog or foster, but to get involved somehow to do something. Maybe you adopt a rescue to follow and sponsor. Whatever you do, keep talking and listening and being open to the dog's perspective. And I will be back next week. Lori, thank you so much for your time today and sharing what you're doing. I know you're busy. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for having me. Sure. I'm Liz Murdoch. Here's to talking with the dogs. Ready to find out what your dog wants you to know? Visit talkingwiththedogs.com, book an appointment with me, and we'll find out.